Okay, good morning. So we're in week two of our brand new sermon series in the book of Philippians this week. Uh, Simon started it last week and we're going to be taking some time with this series, okay? And it's going to go on until next year. We're going to go through this series almost verse by verse and unpacking um, what this letter is saying to us, okay? The, The theme which runs through the whole book of Philippians is about rejoicing, which of course is one of our Jubilee values that we talked about. So we're going to be looking at what it means to be a rejoicing people over the next few months or so. But before I speak today, I want to give you a bit of context about the book of Philippians. So a few of you know that I've been doing Christ Central School of Leadership for the last year and a bit. Uh, Amazing. I want to encourage you all to do it if if you've got the time to do it. It's amazing. Um, This year has been great having Nev with me as well. So me and Nev go down together and get to hang out and get to unpack some of the uh, stuff we talked about in the sessions But one of the things we've been talking about recently is about understanding and unpacking scripture, okay? The posh word for it is hermeneutics, apparently. Um, It just means working out what scripture is saying, all right? And one of the big, big lessons that I was reminded of last month was the importance of context when you're preaching on any passage or when you're reading any part of the Bible, the importance of context is absolutely key. So what is that passage saying in terms of what the rest of the book or letter in the Bible is saying. Context is absolutely key. So I want to give you a few minutes just to set the scene of the book of Philippians. Okay? So this book is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi. And we learn about Paul starting this church if we look in Acts 16 and the conversion of a lady called Lydia. We also, in that same passage, have a fascinating story about a fortune teller girl and um, Paul being put in prison. You can check it out in Acts 16. And the church in Philippi was probably the first church established on European soil. And Philippi was a Roman colony. And I heard Philippi described as being Rome away from Rome. So these guys were almost more Roman than Rome itself. They were absolutely proud and loved the fact that they were a Roman colony. They absolutely loved the fact they were Roman. Similar if you visit the great nation of Gibraltar, where my family are from, you'll see Britain away from Britain. See some pictures there? Yeah, red phone boxes, full English breakfasts, fish and chips, God save the Queen, all of that. All right. Can you paint a picture of Philippi? They were seriously proud of their Roman culture and Roman heritage. The other important thing to say about the church in Philippi was that Paul was very, very fond of them. So he liked them a lot. He was sending them a letter, primarily thanking them for a gift of money that they'd sent to him, but also to remind them how much he loves them. This was a church that Paul absolutely adored. The most important thing, though, about this letter is where Paul was when he wrote it. Okay, And Paul was... Uh, in a prison cell when he wrote this letter, almost certainly in Ephesus, okay? He was in a desperate situation where he was unsure of when he was going to get out of prison. So ironically, we have a sermon series called Rejoice about a letter written from prison, okay? So let's read our passage then. Philippians 1, 12 to 20, if you've got your Bibles. It's going to appear on the screen, if not. Okay, so now I want you to know, brothers and sisters that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, 
Most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether it's from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I'll continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I, that I will in no way be ashamed, but I will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. And I just want to thank you so much for this passage, God. I thank you so much for this letter, Lord, written from a place of hardship, but talking about rejoicing, God. And I pray that as we unpack what this is saying to us this morning, Lord, no matter what situation we find ourselves in, Lord, would we be able to look to you? Would we be able to rejoice? Would we be able to know uh, your goodness in our lives, Lord Jesus? Amen. Okay, so, as I alluded to earlier, what we see here is Paul writing a letter from a place of suffering and hardship in his prison cell. And I want to look this morning at what we can learn from Paul about rejoicing in hardship. Okay, rejoicing in hardship. I've got three little points for us. Uh, the opportunity of hardship, sovereignty in hardship, and finally overcoming hardship. That's where we're going to go at the end of today. So let's look at the opportunity presented by hardship. See, looking at this passage, what we see is Paul seeking the opportunities presented to him while he's in prison. So he's not in prison moping or getting upset. He's looking for opportunities presented to him. And I absolutely love this, because let's look at verse 13. This is what it says. It says, As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Think about this for a second, okay? It was customary in Roman times to either be chained to, all right, or be put in extremely close proximity to a Roman guard at all times, Okay? So when you were in prison, you were either chained to or extremely close to one of the Roman soldiers. Just imagine those conversations for a second, okay? See, here we have one of the greatest theologians of all time, someone who knew wholeheartedly what it was to follow Christ, someone who'd planted and visited a number of churches throughout the early world, literally the go-to guy for all things Christian. And here he is, tied to a prison guard. Like, you want to bet this guy's been talking about Jesus, don't you? He's definitely been talking about Jesus. Like, it reminds me of that comment that your mum used to say to you when you were a kid, when she says, oh, if anyone kidnapped you, they'd bring you back in an hour because you'd do the head in. Anyone's mum say that? I just mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. See, Paul would have just been peck, peck, pecking away at the prison guards, sharing with them all about Jesus. I absolutely love that. See, Paul, on the face of it, is faced with a problem here. This is a guy who's a travelling apostle. He literally travels from place to place, church to church, sharing the gospel and encouraging others. That's his big calling. That's his mandate. That's who he is. And you can look at the situation he's in and you can think this is an absolute disaster because Paul can't possibly do 
what he's called to do. Paul can't be Paul. Like, it's the equivalent of a great concert pianist having his hands tied behind his back or a world-famous footballer having his legs tied together. Paul seemingly can't do what he does. He can't be Paul. That's how it looks. But what we see is that Paul has a firm belief in God working through the worst of circumstances. He sees this seemingly unfair, awful, horrible situation as an opportunity to share with people about Jesus. How good's that? Theologian Gordon Fee puts it like this, talking about Paul. He says, let him loose and he will turn the world upside down. Incarcerate him, lock him up, and he will turn Caesar's house upside down. This was Paul preaching to Caesar's own people, to the Roman soldiers. Paul celebrated the fact that he was imprisoned because he used it as an opportunity to share the good news about Jesus with everyone who would listen. And you know what? Paul was absolutely able to make a difference from the prison because you see it in Philippians 4 at the end of the letter as he's given his final greeting. This is what he says. He says, All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. Like, can you imagine him in prison? So Paul's like dictating this letter to his scribe, and he's like, say hello to this person, this person, this person. And the prison guard's like, oh, say hello for me. I want to say hello to my new brothers and sisters, my new Christian brothers and sisters. What a story. And you know what? Taking hardship and using it as an opportunity, it kind of reminds me of that story of the Chilean miners um, which gripped the world back in 2010. Do you all remember it? About nine years or so now. 33 workers trapped inside a collapsed mine in Chile for 69 days. Do you remember it on the news? Just a truly remarkable story. But what's even more amazing about the story of these guys is the way that God worked in the lives of these miners in the most extreme circumstances. Check out this quote. This is from a a CNN news article published at the time. This is a direct quote. It says, As everyone celebrated the rescue of the 33 miners, many pointed to a higher power, a 34th miner, who they say was with them all along. In the aftermath of the rescue, those involved have recounted seemingly inexplicable miracles during their time underground and credited God with protecting them. God, many of them would say, was the 34th miner. That's from a secular news article, CNN. You hear amazing stories from down in that mine. One of the guys who was a Christian preaching to them and leading them to Christ, 22 of them gave their lives to Jesus underground. There's another story about a guy being healed when guys prayed for him under there. He had a stomach condition being being healed as guys laid hands on him underground. Like, what to the rest of the world looked like a completely hopeless situation was being used for good. And that's similar to what we see with Paul. See, in the case of Paul, we don't see any self-pity or diversion from his calling, despite his situation. Paul was focused and clearly focused on the advancement of the gospel, glorifying Jesus. Let me tell you, everything else was secondary, including his own situation. It was all about advancing the gospel. Now, Simon told me a story recently about some advice he was given when he first started preaching. Apparently, Simon told me that you can never use Greek words in your sermon. All right? 
He says, it's not big and clever, and people don't find it impressive. Okay. <laughs> so I'm not going to use a Greek word, but... <laughs> I already have, I know. I know you picked it up on it. <laughs> so I'm not going to use any more Greek words. But what I will tell you is that the Greek word for advance, which I'm not going to mention, okay, actually means moving forward in spite of obstructions and dangers which would block the path of a traveller. Okay? So it's a term used when travelling. It's moving forward despite obstructions and difficulties. Okay? It basically means um, overcoming despite the situation. So when Paul's focusing on advancement, that's what he's got in his mind. He's got clear obstacles which need to be overcome. And do you know what? There's something massive in here for us when we go through hardships. See, the answer to difficulties, the answer to hardship, it isn't positive thinking. It's obedience and reliance on Jesus Christ. Do you know, the world tells us it's about positive thinking. The world tells us to just look on the bright side of life. But that's not it. That'll fall short every time. Do you know, within every difficult situation we go through, there's an opportunity in there, isn't there? An opportunity for God to work. An opportunity for others to see our reaction and become inspired uh, to come closer to Jesus. Let me ask you, do you look at difficult situations in the same way? Do you look for the opportunities in your difficulties. Do you know, Paul's theology was in good order. He'd learned to see everything from a divine perspective. He'd learned to look at things uh, through God's eyes. He's able to look away from his current situation and towards the king. And when he does that, he sees great opportunity in hardship. And you know, I'm primarily talking about hardship this morning, but this idea of missing opportunities is also massive. See, Paul was in prison. He didn't say, oh, I can't do anything at the moment. I need to wait until I'm released from these chains and then I look for the opportunities to get on with God's work. He didn't say that. But that can be the attitude of many Christians. Like, we can long to be released in order to share the gospel. Oh, if only I didn't have this job. If only I didn't have to stay at home and look after these kids. If only I didn't have my... Um, I wasn't an asylum seeker. If only I wasn't still in school, maybe then I'd be able to serve God fully. But do you know what? If we have that attitude about waiting for things to change before we, change before we get on and serve God, we can so easily miss many of the opportunities presented to us. If you work in the secular world, you have countless opportunities to bring the gospel into your workplace. Countless. Same goes for those who are students or going to school. You've got countless opportunities to bring the gospel into the places you are. Same if you've got children to raise at home and you're a stay-at-home parent. You've got a whole community of parents at the school gates that you can share the good news with. Same if you're an asylum seeker. You've got a whole community of asylum seekers you can share the good news with. See, Paul got on with his job, which was to preach the gospel. My question, Jubilee, is are we getting on with ours? Are we getting on with our job? Are we preaching the gospel? Are we bringing God into the places that we're going? Let me encourage you not to miss our opportunities. And just to challenge you by saying, what opportunities are you missing? What opportunities might you be missing because you're waiting for a situation to come to an end? 
Okay, I'm off topic now, I'm sorry. Let's get back to my second point, all right? Sovereignty in hardship. Let me tell you, God's got a plan for our lives. Sometimes we just need to be aware of that. And we can so easily forget it when things get tough. We can forget that God has great things planned for us. Let me remind you of a story from the Bible, one of the most famous stories from the book of Genesis. This is about Joseph, all right? Uh, You all know it, but let me just remind you. Joseph was a young man who was spoiled absolutely rotten by his father, Jacob. And this made him a little bit arrogant and unsurprisingly annoyed his brothers a little bit. And they planned to kill him. Nice brothers to have, eh? They planned to kill him, but instead of killing him, they ended up selling him into slavery in Egypt. While he was in Egypt, he became a a trusted servant to a guy called Potiphar. He was a great servant in his household before Potiphar's wife tried to sleep with Joseph and uh, have an affair with him. Joseph refused, but she ended up accusing him of trying to sleep with her, and he ended up being put in prison. What we see is Joseph staying in prison for a long time, for years, but suddenly he was brought out in order to interpret one of the Pharaoh's dreams that he was having. And he was so successful in interpreting that dream that he became a trusted member of the Pharaoh's team. He was given the responsibility of overseeing a large project to avoid the country suffering during an upcoming famine. He'd gone from prison to an amazing place of prestige. And this led Joseph by a bizarre series of events, uh, selling some food back to his starving brothers, the ones who tried to kill him in the first place, to avoid them suffering during the famine. And Joseph ends up tricking them to test their hearts before eventually revealing his true identity to them. And that ends in a happy story. The family reunited, surviving the famine and settling in Egypt. And then we see Joseph's father die. We see Jacob die. And then his brothers start to worry that Joseph will get his revenge finally. So the brothers go to him and beg him for forgiveness. And what follows is one of the most memorable statements of faith anywhere in the Bible. It's found in Genesis 15. It's one that I don't think we talk about enough for me. This is what he says in Genesis 50. He says, Do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Joseph ends up forgiving his brothers and the story ends there. But the point is that throughout all of the hardship that Joseph endured for years and years and years, God was working it all for his good. God was intending it for good purposes. And what we see with Paul and Joseph, and what I want to encourage us all to have as well, is the same level of faith and confidence in God's overruling power that even when everything seems to be going wrong, we can still trust God. God is sovereign. Do you know, in the midst of his difficulty, Paul was choosing to cling to God And I think that should be our encouragement too. See, within most situations in life, we don't see the whole picture, do we? We see a small section of what's going on. And from our perspective, everything can appear to be going wrong. But actually, we need to trust in the sovereignty of God. That he's in control and he won't let us down. He's in control and he won't let us down. Do you know what? We sing about it sometimes on Sunday mornings, don't we? You're never going to let me down. We sing it, don't we? But then we act like we don't believe it. Like we'll be in here on Sunday morning singing, God, you're never going to, I can do it myself. You're never going to let me down. And I get to work on Monday morning and I'm like, God, you're letting me down. 
I stopped trusting in God. I stopped believing in his plans. We react to situations like we don't believe that God's in control. But do you believe when we face hardships, we need to draw closer to God? We don't push him out. We don't try and overcome things on our own. But we trust in the overcoming power and plans for our situation. You know, things sometimes don't work out as we plan them. Look at verse 15 while Paul's in prison. This is what he writes. He starts talking about some people who are preaching the gospel out of envy and rivalry. So he's stuck in prison and people out there are going around gossiping about him and about this new religion, this new way of living. Like ordinary people are walking around like, hey, have you heard about what those weirdos are saying? Apparently there's this Messiah, this king of kings, a new emperor, but you won't believe it. This king turns out to be a Jew that they crucified a few years back. And that, that Doyle Paul in prison, he's talking around saying, uh, talking about this guy being alive again. He's saying that this Jesus is the Lord of the world. Can you believe that? That's what people would have been going around and saying. People would have been speaking negatively about Paul. And that's got to hurt, right? That would hurt me. <laughs> but look at Paul's reaction in verse 18. What does it matter? The important thing is that in every day, whether from false motives or true, Christ is being preached. A.K.A. they intended it for harm, God intended it for good. In writing this letter, Paul's reminding the Philippian church and us today that no matter how discouraged we are, that our plans sometimes don't work out. No matter how many malicious people seem to make things difficult for us, no matter how tough the situation is, we need to see God's purposes working out one way or another. If we can grasp that, it'll transform our lives. What an amazing truth. So if, like Paul, we have that single-minded approach, it's Christ plus nothing, our focus is on him, if we're able to have that approach, then then we're able to confidently trust in God in every situation. Because look at God. We know that God worked out his own intentions, salvation of the world through the most difficult of situations, the death and resurrection of Jesus. And we know that God's continuing to work his purposes out through us, through the church, and all of our difficulties. We get to be a part of that. Look, we can take heart from difficult situations because our confidence is in him. As I've said, it isn't about looking at things with rose-tinted glasses or the power of positivity. No, it's a deep conviction of who God is and what God's done for us that allows us to see the bigger picture despite our difficulties. And I think some people need to hear that this morning. Maybe you're looking at your situation. Maybe your head's down in your situation and you're missing out on the bigger picture. If that's you, listen, God hasn't forgotten you. God has not forgotten you. He hasn't given up on you. He hasn't stopped loving you. And most importantly, he is still in control. The story continues. He has plans. Are you choosing to cling to him? Are you choosing to trust in him? I want to challenge you with that this morning. 
You know, it reminds me of a time in my life, which most of you have heard me talk about before, but um, as a 20-year-old, um, when I was living in Dallin, and I'd just dropped out of university, and I was jobless and penniless, and I went through one of the most difficult situations in my whole life. Like, in isolation at that time, it seemed like God had totally given up on me. It seemed so unfair. Like, I'd given up so much to serve God. This is what I was thinking. I'd given up so much to serve God. I'd done two voluntary years serving him as a youth worker in in various churches. I'd given up my Saturday job in the baker's to have more time to serve him. I'd taken step after step after step. And there was God abandoning me. That's what I was thinking. I was left without any sort of hope or plan. It was like the most desperate situation ever. But you know what? Some good friends in the church got around me and prayed with me counseled me and discipled me through it and now looking back nearly 10 years I can see that God was using that most awful time of my life for his purposes he was working something powerfully he was totally in control even though I couldn't see it I looked at that slight situation and my whole life was wrapped around God not being in control but actually looking back at the bigger picture God was working out for my good Jubilee look at the bigger picture God is sovereign in hardships. All right, on to my final point. This one's really short, I promise. All right, I want to look at overcoming hardships. See, you probably won't be surprised by what I'm going to say now. But if we look at Paul, we say that the way of overcoming hardships is by having that single-minded view of Christ. That's the way to overcome hardships. See, as Terry Virgo says in a talk I heard him give on this subject, he says, the call to overcome isn't to be like a superman and save the day. It isn't the hero coming through the hardship. No, the call to overcome comes from the overcomer himself, who stands as a lamb slain in the midst of the throne. We overcome by clinging to the overcomer himself. We have a relationship with the one who overcomes. Dealing with hardship isn't like, right, let's get together and sort this out. Let's get to the root of the problem. No, overcoming looks like standing firm in every situation, even when we don't understand. It's standing firm throughout the confusion and the difficulty. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As Jesus said, we continue to stand firm. That's how we overcome. Are we people who stand firm? Are we a church that stands firm despite difficulties? Are we overcomers? Can we walk through hardship with our faith intact? The way we do that is to cling to Christ and stand firm in him. Have that single-minded approach that I've been talking about. It's Christ plus nothing. Put your hope and trust in him. It's all about him. So maybe as I've mentioned this morning, you're struggling with a situation at the moment. You're going through a difficult time. My call to you is to cling to God. Stand firm in him. Don't lose faith. Jesus talks amazingly in Matthew 11 about coming to him. Let me just read this to you. It's a really famous passage. He says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
you know, in that verse, he's telling us to come to him despite how we're feeling, despite our situation. He's telling us that we don't need to do it alone. We don't need to carry on um, trying to juggle the weight of difficulties on our own, but we can overcome by standing firm and keeping our eyes fixed on a real overcomer. If I could get the band to come up, please, that would be great. Look, we're going to break bread in a minute. And I think it's an amazing time to break bread because what we're doing when we're breaking bread is we're focusing on Jesus' sacrifice for us. We're focusing on the one who gave it all up for us. And I feel like as we're breaking bread together in small groups this morning, maybe you need to just kind of come back to God and say, God, I want to rely on you. I want to cling to you. I want to stand firm. In remembering Jesus' sacrifice for you, I just want you to remember that you can cling to him. You can come to him despite your burdens, despite your tiredness, despite your situation. You know, I don't know what some of the hardships in this room are, but I know about my own hardships. I know I'm going through a tough time at the minute, but, you know, from studying this talk, I've been really inspired about this. Like, let's not try and be Superman. Let's not try and overcome things on our own. Let's not try and do things in our own strength, but let's cling to him who overcomes that is the key. That is the key. All right, if I get you guys to stand, I'm just going to pray for us and then we'll, um, I'll get Simon up. Yeah, Lord, I thank you so much that you have used this letter, God, written from a place of real hardship and real suffering throughout many years to bless and inspire Christians throughout the world. God, I thank you so much that you were able to use the most difficult of situations to have a letter about rejoicing. And Lord, I thank you so much that we've got the answer to overcoming hardships. We've got the remedy and it isn't in us. (laughs) It's in you. So I want to pray for each and every one of us this morning as we break bread, as we uh, take time together to remember your sacrifice, would we remember also to cling to you despite our situation? Father, I pray that we would be a church that clings to you despite the situations that we face. Would we be a people who know what it is to overcome because we have a full trust and reliance on the overcomer himself. Father, we love you and we thank you so much for your word and what you speak to us, Lord. Amen.